Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, and it is a joy to be worshiping with you on this final Sunday of Advent. We are one week from Christmas. Um, And this morning, let me pray for us as we begin and we enter this text of Isaiah together. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, breath of God and fire of love, we cannot pray without your aid. Kindle in us the fire of your love, and illumine us with your light, that with a steadfast will and holy thoughts we may approach the Father in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who reigns with you and the Father in eternal union. Amen. Well, some of you this morning might be like me, and that you wait way too long to go to the doctor for something. Uh, Sometimes we think an issue isn't so bad. Maybe it's going to resolve itself. So we do an online Google search. We're either going to die or we're going to be fine (laughs) as we self-diagnose ourselves based on WebMD. Um, Sometimes it works. We figure out what's going on and it's, or it's something that's happened before and we kind of have this idea of how to treat it. Sometimes, though, of course, it isn't that easy. Um, a long time ago, a long time ago, I had been dusting uh, way up high when I had worked at a coffee shop. I was up on a big ladder, and I was taking the feather duster going up over the air vents. Um, and when I did that, that night, I went home, and there was just kind of a little tickle in my throat. And I figured it was just irritation from the dust. And I was young, so I didn't think maybe I should take an antihistamine. I just kind of went to bed. And that turned into a cough that lasted way too long. A deep, throaty cough where everything went to my chest. And after like a week of coughing, I should have gone to the doctor. But I was 22. I didn't do that. Um, And that cough went deep, deep down. And it hurt. Like after three weeks of really terrible chest coughing, it was painful. And, and so I finally waved my white flag and surrendered and went to the doctor. The doctor reminded me I should have come way earlier, uh, and, and I should have, because it was just allergies, that, and we could have just solved that with an antihistamine, but now it turned into an acute bronchitis that costed a lot more money, and, uh, you know, and he had to put me on antibiotics and steroids at that point. And that took care of the problem after about a week, but I waited way too long. Sometimes when we try and solve things on our own, it makes it way, way worse. And so it's interesting that Jesus is often compared to a great physician in the scriptures, and he wants to heal our souls. We can go through life trying to convince ourselves that everything is just fine, everything's okay. Or we can notice the things that are wrong, and we can figure out all kinds of ways to fix it, to try and get out of it without first coming to Jesus. And today in our reading, we hear about Jesus, who's called Emmanuel in the gospel, God with us, what that means. 
He's God's presence among us, actually incarnate among us, a comfort to those who are going to come to him in faith. And when we're most honest about our brokenness, then we're most prepared to meet God's grace. When we're most honest about the things that are broken, we're now prepared most to meet his healing. Today's prophecy, when you look back at the book of Isaiah, shows us a king, King Ahaz, who is completely unaware of his own brokenness. But nevertheless, Ahaz is trying to hide his fear with very spiritual sounding language. It's a very interesting story. So the account of this prophecy back in Isaiah 7 occurs about 700 years before the time of Jesus. 700. So think like from now, that'd be like the 1300s, the Middle Ages, a long time before the time of Jesus. Between 732 and 716 BCE in the southern kingdom of Judah, Ahaz is a vice regent with his, his dad, King Jotham. And I know Susan's been mapping out uh, the kings of Judah for her class. And so this is all going to be familiar to you. Does that check out? Good. Uh, (laughs) And so you can read more about King Ahaz in the Bible when you go back to 2 Kings chapter 16. We have a lot from his life. Um, But he is not described as faithful in any sense of the word. He made offerings on the high places to false gods. And it talks about him even making his own son pass through fire in some sort of pagan practice. In Isaiah 7, the Assyrians, uh, if you think uh, of this large um, nation, they are pushing westward in their campaign for new territory to get all the way to Egypt, the other major superpower in the west from their perspective. So to get to Egypt, though, you've got to travel through Palestine. And rather than marching across this gigantic desert, from Iran to Egypt, they have to travel through places that are already inhabited, inhabited roads. So they kind of have to go north and then down. And they would have to make their way through modern day Lebanon and Israel um, and down through the Sinai Peninsula. If they're going to make it all the way to Egypt and to conquer the other major power, the Assyrian king at this point is a guy named Tiglath-Pileser III. Um, He's a ferocious wartime king. We have stories about him in um, old Akkadian records. And uh, he was the king that conquered a lot of that land. If you think of this area, I mean, we're talking parts of Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon, and Israel. All of that being under the power of one region. Um, That's a lot. And so this northern kingdom of Israel sees what's coming. Uh, And again, King Ahaz is the king of the south, not the north. But the northern kingdom sees what's coming. And so what they're doing is they're starting to make plans to oppose King Tiglath-Pileser III. King Pekah is the guy's name, uh, Pekah in Hebrew for for the northern kingdom. He's the king of the north. He forms this military alliance with a guy named King Rezin over in Syria. Uh, Rezin is an Aramean. And and Ahaz then in some ways seems to be just kind of sitting back to watch how this is going to go when the north and when Syria form an alliance. How's that going to go when the king of Assyria comes in? How's it going to all pan out? And he has a backup plan. And we know that from 2 Kings 16, that he's actually already kind of set his heart on offering goods to and and information to the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser. He's already made it 
part of his heart's desire to court the king of Assyria to make peace for himself. And so Ahaz, what we find with him as far as character, he's a man who's more concerned with self-preservation than he is with being actually faithful to the Lord. In Isaiah 7, the northern kingdom and the Syrian king are approaching Ahaz because they want him to join their military alliance. But he refuses. He says, I'm not going to join your alliance. And their response then was to move together the northern kingdom in Syria to move down south to try and oppose and overthrow King Ahaz to put in a puppet king who would join their military alliance. They were unsuccessful in doing that. But that effort strikes fear in the heart of Ahaz. Why do I tell you all that? That's the background to Isaiah chapter 7. That's what you need to know to understand why is Ahaz so fearful and why is God coming to him? It's into that political and societal crux that Isaiah is called to prophesy to King Ahaz. Verse 9 ends with this exhortation to Ahaz not to join the alliance. He assures them that both rulers are going to fall. They're not going to be powerful. It's not worth it, he says. And in verse 9, Isaiah says this beautiful short phrase. He says, if you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. And I think that's helpful for setting the context for him and for us. If you do not stand in faith, then you will not stand at all. When troubles find their way to Ahaz, he's going to try and strategize. He's going to try and scheme to get his way um, out of them and to face them. Instead of facing them with a trust that God loves And cares for and leads his people. And when we encounter difficult seasons and difficult scenarios and situations, there's a similar question that confronts us. What's our first reaction? Are we going to be like Ahaz and scheme our way out of it? Or are we going to face it with trust in the Lord? If you do not stand in faith, you will not stand at all. So what happens in Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 13 is actually a genuine invitation. God is not trying to trick Ahaz. This is a genuine invitation for Ahaz to exercise faith. He's um, speaking for the Lord. The prophet says, ask for a sign from the Lord, your God. He talks about it. You know, it could be as high as heaven or as low as shale. Ask for anything. Ask for a sign. God isn't trying to trick him. This is a genuine invitation to faith. And Ahaz says, I am not going to put the Lord to the test. I will not ask for a sign. Sounds extremely spiritual. (laughs) And of course, yeah, I mean, we don't want to put the Lord to the test. That is in scripture. But the irony is that Ahaz, by his very life, has been putting the Lord to the test every day of his whole reign. (laughs) You know, and so... Uh, through his disobedience and his lack of faith. And we know from Second Kings that this isn't genuine, right? Even though he says, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. He's already got it in his heart to court the Assyrians. So this is not genuine. Um, so I find it helpful to see how much grace is extended to Ahaz. You notice this? I mean, Ahaz does not deserve... Uh, to be in God's favor. But God still extends him an opportunity to trust and to change. 
God offers Ahab, Ahaz an opportunity out for repentance. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that we serve. He wants us to draw near to him. That's his supreme desire. And because he's ready to offer forgiveness to each and every one of us. It can be tempting to think, you know what? I just keep messing up here in this area. I just don't think there's any hope for me to change that thing. Or we might be tempted to think, you know what? I'm too deep into the hole. There's no way out for me. But remember the character of God. In repentance and faith, grace comes to meet us when we're honest about our brokenness. And on the flip side, we've got to be careful not to couch disobedience and spiritual sounding language like Ahaz. You know, in the field of politics or economics, you may have heard something, you may not have heard this, but there's something called a Potemkin village. Um, And and I wish Alexei was here because he knows a lot of Russian history, but it comes from a, a Russian man named Grigory Potemkin who helped Catherine the Great back in 1762 Uh, in her coup to take over control of Russia. He became a military commander. He also became Catherine the Great's lover. And he had annexed portions of what's now Ukraine from the Ottomans who had taken it. And he became governor over that region of what they called New Russia at that point. So Catherine the Great took this six-month trip to the region to see her new colony and to impress Russia's allies And so Potemkin helped her accomplish that by building these fake villages all along the Dnipro River. And he would have have his army come and dress up as peasants to populate those villages. And as Catherine sailed down the Dnipro River, they would dismantle the village and they would rebuild it down the river. So from then on, this idea of a Potemkin village is shorthand for some sort of political or economic scheme that looks structurally sound, but is actually this hollow facade. Ahaz's self-piety is a Potemkin village kind of spirituality. It's, it's built up to look right, but it has no substance. And many people walk around with a Potemkin village kind of way of following Jesus. Um, instead of a life that produces the life that's found in Christ. And so Advent is this really beautiful season of preparation. We don't rush into Christmas. We stop for four weeks, and we focus on the end of all things. You and I are preparing to meet the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It was true of his incarnation, and it's true of his second coming, which is what Advent reminds us of. And one thing that I really appreciate about all of you, as I have gotten to know you over the last couple of years, is that um, you are all authentic. And I really appreciate that. And we heard it last week in the testimonies that were shared. You're not the kind of church that would call yourselves faithful because you show up on Christmas and Easter. Um, And I'm really grateful for that kind of church to serve. Having said that, one of the the besetting sins of all of Northern Virginia, culturally, is to put up a facade of having all things put together. A Potemkin village of success. And I think this text invites us to leave some things in life not quite figured out. Uh, Even to express that to people. That, man, I just don't have it all figured out yet. Some things can be left to mystery. 
It invites us into the messiness of being real people in front of one another who are preparing to meet the grace of Jesus together. Despite Ahaz's words, God is going to give him a sign. When we get to verse 14, Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. There was probably an immediate and an ultimate fulfillment of this sign. Immediately, there would be a young woman in the court who would conceive and give birth before the child's too old. This huge problem that's preoccupying Ahaz is going to be over, the Assyrians. Emmanuel is a sign of, of hope for those who would have faith. But Emmanuel is also a sign of judgment for those who would act in disobedience. Having said that, this prophecy then takes on new significance for every successive generation in Israel's history. There's one commentator who I really appreciate named Brevard Childs, and he says this. He says, in sum, Emmanuel is no longer the unborn child of 714, but the owner of Israel's land and the source of the divine force that brings the plans of conspiring nations to naught which is what you would find in Psalm 2, verse 1. He says, There are many clear indications that it was understood messianically by the tradents of the Isaiahic tradition and shaped in such a way both to clarify and expand the messianic hope for every successive generation of the people of God. So Jesus fulfills this Davidic ideal that this passage prophesies about And that's why you find it quoted in our gospel reading today. Rather than a faithful Davidic ruler being a reminder that God's with us, we have Jesus in the incarnation. God is actually with us. Takes on a whole new significance. All things belong to Emmanuel, and Emmanuel is a sign that invites us into the grace of God. He's comfort to the faithful but ultimately an affliction to the disobedient. He's comfort to those who are honest about where they're broken. And he shows us that God has grace for those who have faith. So Emmanuel comes to us as he did in Isaiah's prophecy. God's presence among mankind in Christ is a comfort to the afflicted. He's a promise to overturn the injustices of the wicked who rebel against God. Emmanuel stands ready to save. And to heal all who will come to him. So it's best to be honest with God about what's actually broken. And that's the preparation for us to do in order to meet Christ in his grace. Let me pray for us. Grant almighty God that the words that we have heard this day with our ears may by your grace be grafted into our hearts. That they may bring forth in us the fruit of a righteous life. To the honor and praise of your name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.